Thank you. Well, I'm not going to stay up here too long because I seem, whenever I get on this stage at Jericho, I seem to cry. So I'm just going to leave <laughs> quickly and hand it over to Howard. But I did want to share a few things before I do that. First of all, it's been great to journey with you guys through the fruits of the Spirit um, remotely as we've listened. And um, I could say something about each one. But Miriam, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and for sharing um, of God's love and how that transforms even um, our hopelessness. And um, John and Anita, thank you guys so much for sharing about God's joy. And it was it, what a joy it was to hear the joy that the Father is filling you with and sending you out with. And um, what was I going to, as you follow his lead into this new chapter for your family, thanks for reminding us too of the difference between happiness and joy. And that joy remains with us because God is the, the giver of joy. And we pray that um, yeah, as you go, that you would encounter, continue to encounter his um, joy and um, be sustained by his joy in the highs and lows of going. Um, and um, Wally, I've never met you before, but um, I was deeply convicted when I heard your, there you are, okay, a message about um, patience and um, realizing that I still have this death grip oftentimes on <laughs> control in my life and um, and uh, God calling me and asking me, like, who do, who do I believe is in control? And do I trust um, that God is and that he is good? And um, especially with my family, can I trust that, that he's in control there? Um, and then finally, last week, you talked about God being good and the source of goodness. And the thing that stuck out to me was that God, um, God is good and he produces goodness in us. And I was like, hey, that's kind of but we were going to say God is faithful and he produces faithfulness in us. So we could just go home right there. <laughs> but um, I'll let Howard unpack that a little bit more. But I also, especially as I was listening to Anita and John, and then also um, thinking about faithfulness and in a season that's been really hard for us, um, first of all, feeling like, oh, God, I don't have anything to share. What, what can I say? Um, and then hearing your story about how God's been providing, I was um, reminded to reflect back on the past five years um, from when our journey began um, here. Um, you can, I think, maybe put this first slide up. Um, I wanted to find a slide from the day we were leaving here when we only had two. Um, are, do you have those? Yeah, okay, that's us today. Um, we look a little different than when we left here five years ago. <laughs> maybe a little crazier now. Um, but, um, yeah, I was challenged to look back and um, think about how God has been faithful because there have definitely been moments over the past um, year, past six months especially, that we've felt like, what was the point? Did we miss the boat? Did we, what were we doing? And no, <laughs> um, as I look back I, from the very start, from God bringing us to this church, um, connecting us with MB Mission, um, opening up the door for us to go to the Uyghur people, which was the one place when, where we were getting to um, reach out to uh, an unreached Muslim people group, which was our heart, um, but also the place where Howard's unbelieving father had given us permission to go. Um, and, and then um, somebody asked me the other day, oh, wasn't it horrible to raise support? And then thinking about that and thinking, wow, you know what? Actually, in eight months' time, without us having to beg and plead like that was something that I was like God I felt like he was telling me don't <laughs> don't do that don't try and um, manipulate this or try and 
uh, make, make things happen. And we were just amazed at how God provided for us. And then um, when we arrived, we, of course, we, we had two little ones and one on the way. And one of our first prayers with it was that they would feel at home. You can go to the next slide, I think. And God provided dear, dear friends for them um, to, that loved them, <laughs> that were um, big brothers, um, little brothers, big sisters, little sisters. Um, and even my, I come from a sports family. And thinking about, oh, they're probably not going to really get to play sports. And I can give that up, God. But um, it was kind of hard. It was one of those that I did shed a few tears <laughs> about one time. And then a bilingual sports company opened um, in our, in our um, city. And a former professional ba baseball player was one of the leaders of that camp. And we got to participate. And I got to help with soccer there. And so just how amazing how God provides for little little things that God is faithful um, to care for the things that maybe seem even not important. Um, let's see. You can go to the next picture. Yeah, okay, here's some more of Corbin John and our kids playing. Um, and yeah, go to the next one again. Um, oh, another <laughs> part in that. We asked that, that they would feel at home here home there and I don't know if you can really see but in the background there's a sheep being slaughtered and this is when we were back in April and at the, the beginning I remember our son we walking out and um not long after we had landed seeing a sheep and saying oh hey mom that's dinner <laughs> and then um now when we were back in April Matthias we were going out for a date and um he got he was captivated by this slaughter that was happening right outside of our door and didn't want to go um, sit and play games at the um, <laughs> have ice cream. He wanted to sit through the entire process. So he definitely felt at home. So prayer answered. God is faithful. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, yeah, and, and through this, oh, we can go to the next um, slide. This is my friend Risa. And I think of the times throughout the last, the three years that we were in China of getting to cry with and pray with um, dear, dear friends. And, um, and then as I was, when we realized we weren't going back and feeling the grief of that and thinking, God, what about our friends? <laughs> what, how are, what are, what, how are they going to do? And then to see, you can look at the next picture too, how God has knit together both my local friends and foreign friends that I know that are from totally separate communities to continue to care for and love each other and serve each other even as we're gone. And just another reminder that God is faithful. Um, and then finally, um, well, one, one reminder of God's faithfulness too and um, purpose, I guess, in that I like to say this, my husband doesn't talk about it, but the translation project that was happening among the Uyghur, um, the, the hard drive that it was on got, it was destroyed somehow. And thankfully, because Howard is faithful to use the skills that God has given him, he was able to recover that project. And so that was kind of an exciting thing um, that happened during that time too. Um, and then as we um, come back, I remember before we left, I'm talking way too long already, but um, that we, this was kind of our theme as we shared, and um, it's been interesting to see how God is faithful to bring the same theme up again and again. Um, we shared, and for ourselves, and we're calling others to this too, that to re be reminded that God is more concerned with us being in him than what we're doing for him, and that kind of reminds me of what Brad just shared the other John McCarthy said <laughs> to Hudson Taylor long ago. And so um, 
yeah, even, even through hard times, um, we are seeing that God is faithful to um, reveal his love for us in deeper ways and um, also to reveal idols in our hearts <laughs> that are still there um, that we can let go of. And, um, yeah, he's faithful, <laughs> again, in the end, to pr- produce faithfulness in us. And um, so that, that sums it up. Like I said, I should have probably just ended there, but there you go. There's a little bit more. There's more to unpack, <laughs> and I'll let my husband do that. But please do keep in mind that truth at the forefront of your minds as you listen, that God's faithfulness is what re- produces a response of faithfulness in us. It's, after all, the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> if we get the order wrong, if we think it's us that are producing it, um, faithfulness or any other fruit for that matter, um, we fall into the trap that Paul is warning us against in Galatians, um, that we can somehow earn God's favor. Um, and as a frequent, um, I don't know, a recovering legalist, maybe I could say, um, I tend to fall into that. Like, I keep thinking I can do something to earn God's favor. Um, yeah, I just want to call us to that and remind us, remind myself that I need to daily, as I need to daily, that it's all about what he has done and living into the fullness of that, not about my striving, performing, earning. He is faithful. Thank you, my wife, um, and thank um, the worship team for just putting, leading us in putting words that Somehow it's different when it's sung than when it's, you know, agonized over and edited. And, yeah, I'm so thankful. And, and especially thankful for my wife because what I'm about to share with you, it's really our experience together. Um, and uh, she lets me be up here and uh, to read it through. And, um, but really, she's a very, you know, every part of it. So, uh, first of all, I want to, I think, there's a lot of uh, old faces, but um, I, there's a lot of new faces too. So I want to give you some qualifications about myself in case you don't know me. I'm, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm not an ordained uh, clergyman. I'm just another Anabaptist brother. Before I went over, I was a school teacher. What I'm doing now is sharing with you what I think about some particular um, passages in the, in the scriptures and how my personal, our personal experience had informed me about it. So this is me inviting you uh, to consider these passages together. Uh, this is me inviting you to all to enter into community in Anabaptist fashion. So I hope I won't come across as trying to teach at you. Now, if and when it does, it's because the, of the school teacher side of me talking. It spills over inevitably. So I'm sorry about the spillover. I, I do want to make it clear, though, that what I'm sharing this morning represents my grappling my grappling with his faithfulness in mid-process. And so I invite you as my community to discern with me, and you have been our community. There's, um, I'm so thankful for the people, and I, there's faces, names right here. Um, you have supported us uh, in more ways than one. Um, I hope you will feel free to speak into this process uh, as the Lord gives you insight um, after the message. For those of you who don't know me, my family and I spent the past several years in Central Asia with the ultimate goal of being able to do just this, what we're doing right now, discerning together in community God's word, his love, his faithfulness. One day, with the Uyghur people, who overwhelmingly didn't, uh, don't, have, 
don't know or have access to the gospel. That is, in the name of our big brother Jesus, we as a family were sent in community to go over there to look for our long-lost family, whom God promised a remnant of which will worship with us in heaven one day by becoming their neighbors and loving them in word and in deed, hoping they will discover and love the word of God so that they will study and obey all that Jesus has commanded, uh, commanded them, which is to love God and love one another in community. So really, what you and we experience here is what we were hoping to see. And that's why we brought over. You truly are part of the sending. So thank you, people of Jericho Ridge, along with other MB churches, uh, for letting us represent you in loving the Uyghur and other peoples of Central Asia. In this community effort, invite others into our community. We're so honored to be the ones sent. You know, there, we might be the tip of the spear, but there's a whole lot of material after that. The power, you know, does not come from one person. It comes from a whole community. Um, uh, we thank God for the faithfulness uh, of believers in agreement with Jesus in Psalm uh, 16. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. That's what our brother Jesus think of us. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus delights in you. Amen. Now, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Thus begins Paul in his letter to the Galatians. So I want to remind ourselves right away in the series on the fruit of the Spirit that Paul's thesis is to preach grace. So he began the fifth chapter this way. The letter is a response to the danger of sliding back into ritualism and works righteousness or legalism that Paul saw in the church of Galatia. He writes in uh, the first chapter, I'm amazed. You're so, quick, you're so quickly deserting the one who chose you because of the grace that Christ has provided. You're turning to a different good news. What you are accepting is really not the good news at all. It seems that some people have gotten you all mixed up. They're trying to twist the good news about Christ. Now, since we are familiar with the interpretive uh, principle of putting things in context. Let's just dive right in and, uh, and do that by looking before and after the passage on the fruit of the Spirit. That is in um, verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5. As I did so, I noticed quickly that the fruit of Spirit is actually a supporting point. It's actually a supporting point. In the thrust of Paul's main exhortation for believers to remain true to their original Call to freedom in grace. And their ultimate goal is to be transformed into Christ-likeness and to love like he does. And you can find that in verse 14. That is, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. As um, it appears elsewhere in Mark chapter 12. I chose to focus on Galatians 5 verses 13 through actually 16, not just 15, which immediately precedes the fruit of the Spirit verse as the key verses today because it really outlines Paul's main argument well. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, if you have your Bible, you can keep it open to that passage. I'm going to be referring to lots of other passages, but really, um, it's all going to be hinged upon these four. So in verse 13, Paul points out that the freedom of grace has been given us, and indeed it has. But it is a means to an end. There's a, there's a greater purpose that it's pointing to. In verse 14, he reveals the goal of that freedom. What's the freedom for? Not to satisfy our own flesh, fleshly desires, but to love your neighbor generously. Then, in the next two verses, he expands on what, how, and who, the who of love. Touching on the practical challenge of loving perfectly like the Father and how to overcome them. For example, in verse 15, he recognizes that our neighbor often means those whom we resent, who let us down, or even hate us. Finally, he points out in verse 16 that in loving, despite the reality of conflict and disappointment, we are being faithful in loving and glorifying our God. So, as you can see, these last two verses look forward to the past that is to come about the fruit of spirit and, and the contrasting um, fruit of the flesh. Um, so even as we reflect on the fruit of spirit, let's really remember, Paul mentioned it to support God's graciousness and to attack works righteousness. It is so easy when you dangle the fruit in front of me, I, I just want to grab it, right? So, but that's not the intention of the, of the book. The fruit is the outworking or the result of the indwelling spirit. When we say it's a blessing, it is given, it really is. It is the spirit that enables and empowers the actual growth of the fruit, not us. The presence of the fruit is merely the sign that the Holy Spirit, the helper graciously sent by God, not by our own merits, is actually working in me. It's sort of the indicator light. That's, you know, everything's going. You cannot manufacture grapes. I mean, how ridiculous would that be? You know, you are trying to manufacture grapes through some chemical means in order to grow a healthy grapevine. That's ridiculous, but, you know, where we, where we just spend, people actually create fake eggs, so that tells you, you know, nothing is, there's nothing um, new under the sun. Um, good grapes are the external signs that the grape plant is and has been healthy. And so, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the faithfulness of God, which puts us on this journey of gaining Christ-likeness, being transformed, and being set apart and made holy, that we are indeed connected to Him. So even right there, we already hearken back to what um, um, Brad was saying and my wife was mentioning. Right there, you already see the faithfulness of God. But there's more. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I really want to encourage all of us that if we look at the fruit and think, oh, I don't have it and get discouraged, don't. That's not the intention. You know, the fruit is there to, is to bless us. The fruit of the Spirit, therefore, are not individual goals to work on in the same fashion we check off a to-do list. You know, that's my favorite or put on Boy Scout merit badges, like we have earned it. 
but an indication that we are connected to the vine. And notice that the fruit is singular. I think Wally or Mike probably mentioned this a couple times. Uh, the different facets of the fruit of spirit all come from the spirit, which we choose to feed or starve. That we can do. And we can't will the branch to produce just one or two or three or maybe ten or whatever number of grapes, you know, one at a time or whatever combination that we determine. That's not our business. They all come at the will of the Father. And we get to observe sometimes, just like, you know, in your own garden. Sometimes you didn't notice, oh, that, I didn't see that tomato before, but it's growing very well. We get to observe and, and, and be thankful. Now, seeing this is an Anabaptist church, uh, be careful with what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there isn't a process to growing fruit. Either in our Father's garden, or uh, in the lot that we call our lives, or in the earthly garden. I'm not saying that we have no participation in this process of growing, and that the fruit will magically materialize, you know, a la um, Star Trek. You know, just, no. Anyone who has tried to grow something knows that. Um, one might not be responsible for piecing the tissues of the plant together in the process of photosynthesis, uh, liquid osmosis, and a capillary action, um, uh, or um, cellular mitosis. But there is still a lot of work we as gardeners we need to do, or we can do, I should say. Um, uh, let's see. So I'm not advocating easy believism. I think you know as well as I do that from our perspective, from the perspective of the gardener, the process is often arduous. I'm doing some gardening right now. I mean, maybe this is why the analogy comes from. But it seems like after weeks, I'm still doing landscaping. There's not actually things planted. Um, even a quick examination should show us that as gardeners, we need to at least begin by yielding up our little lot in the garden to God for him to plant what he wants. You know, it's interesting that Jesus says, you know, I am the vine. He didn't say I'm the apple tree or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what he chooses, um, but he's cho choosing, and we yield. One must clear the ground first of brambles, weeds, and stones, followed by enriching the soil with compost and manure. And I want to make a side observation that, interestingly, the yucky stuff isn't thrown away and wasted, but it's transformed into nutrients. And the weeding, mulching, watering continue throughout the growing season. All this involves our volition, our will. I mean, we can't take credit for the plant growing, right? even though they appear in our lot or our lives. But we can give assent to the owner of the vineyard to yield up our lot and continually clearing it of the distractions of other plants that we might otherwise want to plant, want to have. So in understanding this mystery, I'd like to focus on the simple word of Christ. If you abide in me and my word, abiding you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So, one last observation about the fruit before I talk specifically about the process of growing it and faithfulness itself. The fruit is not mainly for the benefit of the guard, uh, for the branch. Okay? I mean, the crop of a productive vineyard is mostly for the consumption of other people. Ever thought of that? That is our neighbors. You know, everyone other than myself. 
This doesn't mean that we as, a garden, uh, as gardeners, we can't enjoy the fruit or feel joyful at seeing it, but it's mainly meant for our neighbors. It's mainly relational. So what did the vine himself say? He said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He marked 14. Now, over to the process of growing fruit um, of the Spirit, which is, again, a description of what the Holy Spirit does and what we need to consent to for him to go to work and not a formula to do or achieve it ourselves. So how do we do this? You know, what does it look like to give consent to the Holy Spirit? I mean, let's bring it down to the practical, you know, Willoughby um, level. Um, what does it look like to cultivate the soil of our lot, our life, you know, feeding rather than grieving the Holy Spirit? Now, we probably already know um, this. Jesus already said that we are branches grafted into him, and that to bear fruit, we need to abide in him. But what does the process look like? And in particular, what does this process reveal about his faithfulness and ours? And how does that relate to one another? You see, right there in verse 14, we can see a hint. The process of his fulfilling his promise is, is right there. For the whole law, law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have to recognize right away that God isn't talking about a relationship of you know, fuzzy, friendly, and neighborly banter. He is talking about a relationship of conflict, opposition, and is being overcome and redeemed. Whenever he talks about neighbor, loving your neighbor, we need to remember that. Verse 14 appears so many other places in the scripture. Here's just a quick collection of it. I uh, probably don't have time to read it all. But John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Leviticus 19 and 18, uh, Matthew 22, um, so how does he love us? I mean, who are we? We are those who crucified him, who were at war with him before we knew him. You know, in Ephesians, Paul talks about that. How does he love us? Well, by bearing our sin and dying on the cross. He himself says, greater love has no one than, uh, than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So loving as he loved us requires that we first recognize our own sinfulness, rebelliousness, and unlovableness. And secondly, recognize how he loved such people as ourselves. And lastly, there's a response. We go to those with whom we have conflict, or perhaps people we find undesirable. Again, he says, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's from Leviticus 19. So this clearly points to neighbors as those who we are most likely to have conflicts with, simply because we have to live next to them. Um, and again, we remember his response elsewhere. You know, for example, his response to the young lawyer in Matthew 22. And he basically said, you know, what you need to do is um, be neighborly. I mean, it's a good thing to be neighborly, but you've got to be many neighborly even to you, with your enemy, just like the Samaritan. Right after verse 14, Paul, Paul points out in verse 15 the reality of living with others in our world. And this is why he came to, to us. And this is the lasting mission of the church until he comes again. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And, but equally swiftly, Paul points to its remedy in verse 16. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. So it's not, he's not calling us to, to doom and gloom and de-worry. He's telling us what God has done, and here's the solution. he's provided the solution for us already. He's promised. So, and that's before he lavished on the fruit of the Spirit. So it, it seems to me, like walking in the Spirit to love your um, neighbors as he loved us, um, in other words, being compassionate as he is compassionate, being like the Father, is held up as the antidote to living in the flesh. That is the process. This is the process of becoming like our Heavenly Father. It's the process of growing the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's like Peter getting out of the boat, walking toward Jesus. He keeps gaze on Jesus, and nothing else matters. If we try to focus on the fruit, we're not going to get it. All we do is end up making idols of, oh, I feel disappointed, or I become possessive about the fruit. So much of what I understand about the compassionate heart of God the Father really comes from the parable of the prodigal son. You probably saw that already. And I owe it much to uh, Henry Nowen in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. In it, Nowen describes the father's compassionate love through the prism of the cycle of grief, forgiveness, and generosity. In the father's compassionate love, which Jesus the Son is the perfect embodiment of, we see all the fruit of the Spirit. So keep our gaze on Jesus. I mean, it's tried. I mean, you've seen that. You've heard that many times. But it's really, there's no surprises. What else are you going to listen to in the church? But I have, I just want to say, I have experienced in just in a, in a different way. And that's what he does with us. He gives us one more step, one more place in which to experience the old truth. Take faithfulness, for example. Uh, when do we sense our need for it, for faithfulness? And the scarcity or the abundance of it. Usually, we become aware of our faith only when we feel that we are losing it. There is not enough of it. And when we do feel we're losing, uh, when do we feel we're losing or in danger of losing our faith? I'll tell you about some other people who were struggling with their faith. You know, for Abraham and Sarah, it was when they waited beyond the age of bearing children. For Joseph, it was as he was laying in the pit, being sold to Egypt, jailed for a crime he didn't commit, and then languishing in the king's prison after he helped the cupbearer who forgot to put in a good word for him uh, before the pharaoh. For Job, it was after he lost all his possessions. He was actually surprisingly calm when that happened. But when he was attacked by the words of his friends. For Moses, it was when he was rebuked by the Hebrew he saved, right before he fled into the desert you know, for many years. For David, it was when, during the time of being pursued by those he served and served with and those who used to serve him. For John the Baptist, it was when he was in prison and Jesus was looking more and more like a martyr, someone bent on becoming a martyr than the victorious king of kings. For Peter, it was after his compassion of Christ, vowing to die or go to prison with him when he was in the courtyard warming his hands, denying him three times. And for Christ himself, probably the closest time uh, the nearest thing, uh, and he didn't give, give in, right, was when he sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, wondering aloud whether the, cup, the cross was the only way. You see, we lose faith, or we feel our faith is challenged. I mean, lose faith is in quotation, okay? I don't think we actually lose faith when we feel that way. Um, when someone, be it God, other people, or ourselves, let us down. 
or seem to let us down or deny us. In all instances, it was awareness that, uh, that things are not as it should be, that there is something terribly wrong in the world. But paradoxically, this is also when we need our faith the most. And our faith, given by God, gets stretched to the greatest extent it can and showcasing the glory of God in that very moment because he gave the faith, didn't he? It's his gift. It's not ours. In the case of Jesus, he both resisted the temptation to be disappointed in God. Remember on the cross he said, why have you forsaken me? But he resisted and experienced the agony of that struggle to the uttermost degree like no one ever did and conquered with perfect faithfulness as the son to his father. Even in the case of Jesus, faithfulness as the fruit didn't come without the dark night of the soul. And even more appropriately, he was not just struggling with the fear of death, eh? No. He was taking the cup, the culmination of all the sin in history. And, and um, into himself, he literally became sin. He was literally grieving and mourning over all that is, has been, and ever will be wrong in the world, in his heart. In order to love his neighbors, and that includes both his disciples, as he agonized, his disciples were sleeping in the garden, and including those who were coming to him with swords and torches, uh, led by one who would betray him with a kiss. But see, this is the process. As Jesus grieved, he prayed. Harry Nowen talks about this being the proper godly expression of grief. We pray. We pray to God. And he arose, arose in Gethsemane. Christ also conquered the darkest night with the perfect peace in his heart. He was peaceful from that point on. Perfect love for his father and mankind. Perfect patience for Peter, you know, who both when he was misusing the sword and denying his Lord three times, and also later, when, he, when Jesus resurrected, when he gently restored him to become the chief shepherd, as he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Then be my sheep. Do you love me? Then be my sheep. Jesus arose from Gethsemane, showing perfect gentleness, not rebuking the thief on the cross who mocked him, and perfect kindness as he gave hope to other thieves who confessed his faith, promising his entrance into heaven on the last hours of his miserable life. I mean, what a perfected word. I mean, none of us really ever received that. And he had perfect self-control as he held on to sin and the wrath of God until it is finished. See, in grieving all the wrongs and violence that ever existed and forgiving those who committed them, Christ became the embodiment of the Father's perfect faithfulness. To Abraham and his tribe who believed in faith, like Isaac willingly going to up the mountain, Christ's being faithful to the will of the Father fulfilled the Father's faithfulness and generously giving the lost humanity all that he had, his only begotten Son. And in doing so, required Christ having faith in his Father, trusting that the Father will give him victory in the end as he goes to the cross. Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, he said, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And remember, he's given us faith. So ask and pray. 
we are all called to love our neighbors with compassion like our Father. Um, to follow the lead of Jesus in this cycle of mourning, forgiving, and generous giving, as we do so, we yield to the Holy Spirit and let him go to work and make room for his fruit. So, yes, we've got work to do, good Anabaptist faithful followers. But the work is to yield, to give up. Each of our branches looks different from one another in, the, in, the, in a given moment. And then the key is that we all follow the same spirit. For John and Anita, faithfulness right now looks like giving their lives and careers generously into the Father's care, letting him shape their future path. That's faithfulness. And from experience, I also think that they will also experience faithfulness increasingly in terms of grieving for the loss of familiar experiences and potential future opportunities that they and their children otherwise would have had, as well as grieving with their new neighbors as they learn the suffering and brokenness um, that they experience in Papua New Guinea. Much of the pa- our past um, years, we were giving into learning and doing justice. So, like Job's friends, you know, at least when they, as they were initially, to sit, listen, acknowledge the hurt with those who are hurting. Darren, could you show the, next, uh, the first um, picture? For example, there's people like Alex and Patricia. Next one. Uh, maybe the, the fifth one or the sixth one from here. Um, and their son, our dear neighbors that was torn up when they became estranged from the daughter-in-law. There you go, Alex and Patricia. Next one. Um, Ishmael and Zoe, their parents, they're a family of uh, Uyghur believers. They're not all here. Who struggle with poverty and poor health and whose children have no legal status and therefore no education and little prospect. Next one. Sister Chu and her husband, Chinese believers who committed themselves to help Ishmael and Zoe in a way that cost themselves dearly. But they themselves struggle with the language barrier and interacting in, in, in a, not able to interact in a contextualized and culturally sensitive way. There's a lot of hurt in there. Next one. Uyghur friends who experience racial profiling for a simple task as checking into a hotel. They can get denied because they're Uyghur. Or applying for a passport, denied. Um, there's Uyghur brothers and sisters of Christ who face both racial and religious discrimination. There's Mike, the missionary musician who helped to develop Uyghur worship songs in their own style. My goodness. But he had to leave when he developed hearing impairment. And there's brother Andrew, the Chinese tent maker who lost his livelihood when his, the authorities shut his business down, you know, twice and for the final time. So there's so much power in the act of being willing to sit with someone in the middle of their loss and misery, not trying to fix, but trying to provide a solution. In fact, you know, trying to fix it is often a way to avoid grieving. But acknowledge that person's being, brokenness and all, simply because he is valuable in the eyes of God. This is partly what God, uh, what Jesus did, you know, with us by his incarnation. So for us, faithfulness right now looks like acknowledging our loss rather than whitewashing it or striking it off. And to trust, and trusting our Father who loves us and accepts us unconditionally will provide a new beginning for us. Faithfulness, as my wife mentioned now, also means trusting that he will complete the work he began in us. There's two aspects to that. You know, he says, I'm sure of this, he will, begin, he will begin a good work in you, will bring it to complete completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Both in terms of our own spiritual growth and what will happen to the seeds of gospel uh, that we've sown. And 
I don't have time to really tell the story, but what a remarkable thing is, I met this taxi driver, his name is Albert, you know, like a few days after we landed three years ago. And we've, I've met him in and out for the last few years. This time when we went back in April, he unexpectedly came across my path again. The day before we were to fly back to North America, I was listening to him and grieving with him. His life was torn apart. You know, his wife left him with three kids to raise by himself. Um, but he, his heart, that's him. Um, his heart was fertile, and he told me about a dream he had. I mean, uh, with Muslim background people, and dreams are important. But anyway, he told me about a dream, about our meeting. And so anyway, I asked him, well, would you like to know? I know I don't have any wisdom. I don't have good advice for you. Uh, but I know the person who's wise and knows all things. Would you like to know more about him? He said, yes. So I had this last, I mean, I don't know. I had this last copy of a Bible. I, I've had to safely dispose of them with other people. But I had this one last copy in my bag. It was burning a hole. So I gave it to him, and he took it. And I don't know what's going to happen to him. I mean, even with modern technology, I, I'm not in his life anymore. Right? So I knew then that this encounter was God's faithfulness in action. I trust God that he can prepare the soil and bring about the harvest in this man and his family. I'm really out of time, so I'm just going to really reiterate. Um, you know... We will not be able to conquer to perfection in our lifetime this if we make it a task of being faithful. But we can always take one more step as the Spirit um, presents the opportunity to us. And I think in my experience, that's how he works. I have not seen you know, uh, the writing on the wall. I never heard a thundering boom in the room. Um, but... He, I always experience him in these whispers, small voices. And it's always just one thing. It's not a grand plan. And in fact, it is true whether one has taken 10 steps or 10,000. Until Jesus comes again, there's always one more step to take. You can always take that one more step as he presents it to you. From the very first day we showed up here, right here on this spot, uh, we've witnessed people here taking step after step to serve in love and faithfulness. And you know, that your witness urged us on. Whether it's going to another time zone altogether, or just down the street, you know, at the landing gate, Wait of Hope. Whether it's right in your home as you collect the supplies and, and you know, sponsor the Syrian family that's coming, or in all the elder meetings, AGMs, and private meetings where you grapple with how to resolve conflicts. Generous giving um, that recognizes the grief, the hurt, and that sees itself developing to forgiveness, at once creates room for the fruit of faithfulness to mature and come into view in our own life by emptying our hearts with a fear. And at the same time, becomes opportunity to witness our Father's faithfulness as he provides for us from his limitless love. Now one writes, you know, as children of delight who knows that perfect love casts out all fear, it becomes possible to give away all that we have for others. That's not how people like John and Anita can, can give it up. People like um, at the Bucher, you know, as they give it up and continue to give up. Um, 
Giving all, thus becomes gaining all. So Jesus expresses uh, clearly as he says, anyone who loses his life for my sake will save it. Every time I take a step in the direction of generosity, I know that I am moving away from fear to love. So in conclusion, we would do well to learn and become more like the master uh, gardener. Through the process of grieving, forgiving, and um, generous giving, we are clearing and cultivating the ground of our lives to make room for the plant that is the Holy Spirit, which, which produces fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, making it that our lives a hospitable place for communities to form. Brothers and sisters, is it possible that even now, Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, not showing you a grand plan, but simply showing you the next step. Is there something in your heart? Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't fear. Don't worry that you will not hear his, um, you will not follow his plan perfectly. He gives you one step at a time. Um, all we have to do, all we are called to do, is to walk in those one step. We don't need to invent our own epic journey. We don't need to earn his faithfulness by our own invention. Because the faithfulness and grace from our Heavenly Father, which are needed for us to even take those steps, are epic enough. You know, it only took the cross 